Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Lord Baelish. Peter, please. Are you heading to listen to Binge Mode? I'm going to the Irie to see your Aunt Lysa in the Veil. She's sensitive, so I feel I feel compelled to tell you that Binge Mode features adult content. Good, good. Very graphic at times. Good. I know how she is around Moondoors, so wanted to warn you just in case. And now, here's Binge Mode. She was a whore. Say that word again. And what? You'll kill your own father in the privy? You're my son. Now, enough of this nonsense. I am your son. And you sentenced me to die. You knew I didn't poison Joffrey, but you sentenced me all the same. Why? Enough. We'll go back to my chambers and speak with some dignity. I can't go back there. She's in there. Are you afraid of a dead hawk? You shot me. You're no son of mine. Welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished up in the privy. Put down the crossbow. Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Dad Concepcion. Where are the wipes in this place? (laughs) The hygiene is always. The squatty privy. My squatty privy, Tyrion. Always so concerning. Jason? Yes. Loosen your grip on those golden chains. Okay. I need you. Let's go. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one at a time. Spoiler warning as always, guys. We will be going deep on details from the show and the book. From this episode, this season, and beyond. So load your crossbows and empty your colons. Because it's time to break down the season four finale. The children. Jason. Yes. The season four finale has come to us at last, though the hour is late. Mm -hmm. This is a jam-packed send-off for this season. So let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this 10th installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Up just beyond the wall in the north, John meets with Mance, who sets out his terms. Let my people through, and no one else dies. Then Stannis' army appears from literally nowhere. Stannis, of fucking <laughs> course, bids the king in the north kneel and pay him homage. We do not kneel, says Mance. Okay, uh, I hate to bring this up, but maybe I'll execute your whole army. All the same, we do not kneel. Mance Raider sticks to his guns. John plays the I'm Ned's son card and then convinces Stannis to take Mance prisoner and treat him with something approaching civility. Then he tells Stannis to have the dead burned. Mm-hmm. A little hint. John burns Egret's body in front of the heart tree beyond the wall Damn. and then cries. That's some sad Wee! shit. Over a Marine, speaking of sad shit, the Khaleesi... Hearing from the people and uh, not hearing anything good, guys. No. First, a former slave comes to ask permission 
to return to his master. Wait, what? Okay. This is not what Danny was planning on. The challenges facing her rule are much more complex than she ever realized they were going to be. And that is before she finds out that Drogon's been snacking on children, human children. Bells for Zala, the daughter of the of the goat farmer. Come on. <laughs> Come what? on, Zach. No, all right. Uh, with Drogon MIA, Danny, in one of the most despicable acts, not only in <laughs> Game of Thrones canon, but in recorded human, real or fictional history. Very tough. Chains her other dragons, her other children, Rhaegal and Viserion, down in the catacombs of Marine. Zach, give us the bells for <laughs> Danny dying in our fucking hearts. The, I think the worst part about this on rewatch was like how how jauntily Viserion and Rhaegal like went down there. They were like, "Oh, mommy's bringing us down here for something. This is gonna be good, you guys." I can't. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I can't. At the Three Eyed Ravens Cave under the tree beyond the wall, at long last, lovely home. Bran and company pull within sight of their destination. Yes. Three Eyed Raven resides here, protected by powerful magical wards which keep out the dead. Unfortunately, particularly for Jojen, the area around the cave is quite literally crawling with whites. The children of the forest stir from beneath the tree just in time to save Bran, Summer, Hodor, and Mira. But Jojen meets his fate. Bells for Jojen! Just getting stabbed in the guts by a white repeatedly as Mira was like looking at some other shit. And then, (laughs) you know, Mira's got to slice her own brother's throat. The agony of that. And then, (sighs) and then, kind of like three deaths for Jojen here. Then he's fireballed. (laughs) So then he doesn't turn into a white. Mira looks on. And and then Bran goes under the the hill and has a pretty dope pep talk from the Three-Eyed Raven. Meanwhile, in the Vale. Yes. Crazy shit happening over in the Vale. Bram awakens to find that the horses are gone. Pod! Yeah. Learn how to tie a fucking knot, okay? Among other things. You're studying up on the Miranese knots, but learn how to tie Whoa. an actual knot, buddy. That's the only knot he knows. <laughs> and they're they're looking for their mounts, right? Yeah. And who should they come across? Ooh, is that a water dancer? Brienne runs into Arya Stark. Shortly thereafter, finishing taking a shit, the hound comes into view. Ah, Pod recognizes him, of course. Brienne tries to convince Arya to leave with her. I made your mother a holy vow. I swore. I swore that I would find you and protect you. Arya's not really here for it, and neither is the Hound. Brienne and the Hound fight. It is savage. It is so violent. One of the most violent one-on-one duels that we see in the show. Brienne bests the Hound. She knocks him over the side of a cliff then runs off with Pod to try to find Arya. Arya hiding, goes over the hound, who uh, has a pretty large chunk of bone sticking out of his thigh and is missing an ear. Various other injuries as well. And he begs. He begs Arya to kill him. Another name off your list. What does Arya do? She takes his money, gives him a couple meaningful looks, and sets about on her way. She finds a small port, and using the coin that Jockin gave her, she books passage to Bravos. Yep. Over in King's Landing, the mountain is in pretty rough fucking shape. Manticore venom, guys. Deadly. The Red Viper's last sting. Cersei places him in the care of Kyburn. Much to Pycelle's Kyburn. Not even a maester. Cersei goes to Tywin. She wants out of her looming nuptials to Sir Loras. Tywin is, of course, 
fucking irate. Will none of his ingrate children simply do as they are bid? Cersei threatens to ruin the family by telling everyone the truth, that Jamie is the father of her children. And Tywin doesn't, can't believe it. With her secret finally out, Cersei fears nothing. Jamie springs Tyrion from the dungeon. But instead of simply escaping with Varys as planned, Tyrion takes a detour to his father's chambers. Finds Shay in Tywin's bed wearing a long gold necklace, which he strangles her with. Then he walks on down the hall to the privy, where Tywin is taking a dump. After a brief conversation, Tyrion puts two arrows in his father's intestines, also in his chest, his guts in his chest. Varys helps Tyrion escape by ship, then joins him when he realizes, as the bells toll, that something very bad has gone down. Speaking of the bells, R.I.P. Tywin Lannister. He was a giant. He was a legend. But he did not, it turns out, actually shit gold. No, he shit shit. He shit feces, actual feces. (laughs) Jason? Yeah. There is no safety. Wow. Only the looming specter of fate. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. Does it? (laughs) Yeah. So let's cut right to the core of it. Yeah. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode, this finale, is... The finale. (laughs) Destiny. Can you accept your destiny? Can you reject it? Is destiny even Ah. real? Does it matter if it's not real if you believe that it is real? These questions are always lurking, always present in the story, but they become really central in the children as numerous characters are attempting to avoid or finally allowing themselves to give in to their fate. And of course... Little daddy son duo here mm. facing their destiny together. All of Tyrion's life has been leading to this moment when he confronts his father on the shitter. Could have been anywhere. Could have happened anywhere. Could it? I feel like it had to be there. Had to be there. I mean, he does. So sh- perfect. Because of the, you know, because of the common saying about Tywin that he shits gold. Perhaps you're right. Destiny. Tywin blames Tyrion for his wife Joanna's death. She died while giving birth to Tyrion. And that colored the way Tywin treated Tyrion for his entire life. He's been just tearing Tyrion down for his entire life. And then compounding this is Tyrion's dwarfism, um, which Tywin feels is a personal insult to him. And so it's really no surprise that we've ended up here. Tyrion, meanwhile, spent his entire life doing two things, trying to at once win his father's acceptance. He wants to feel the respect and love from Tywin Lannister. And at the same time, hating him, just with a burning, burning hatred. And those two very complex, very strong feelings um, have been roiling Tyrion for his entire life. And then on top of all that, Tyrion is really very, very similar to Tywin. So similar that the two, that neither of them can really see it until... Uh, it's too late. Uh, perhaps the most chilling thing about Tywin's death on the shitter is how he attempts to get control of the situation by leveraging Tyrion's desire for acceptance. He says, you're my son. You're a Lannister. And he goes on to say, you know, T- Tyrion asks him, you know, you've been trying to kill me my whole life. And Tywin says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and? But you, you know, but you keep on surviving, you know, and, and then he goes, you know, I've 
I respect that. Even admire it. You refuse to die. I respect <laughs> yeah. that. Even admire it. Uh, and you this, fight for what's yours. You fight for what's yours. That's a Tywin idea. That fighting is for a what's Tywin yours. idea. And what makes this chilling is that it shows that Tywin isn't just like a dickhead dad who is just, you know, cold to his children as individuals. He only who only sees them as ideas for uh, continuing this legacy as vehicles for his legacy. He understands very well what Tyrion wants in his heart as a son wants, you know, what he wants as a son from a father. And he's more than willing to use that in this particular instance to get out of a situation in which, you know, he's got a crossbow pointed at him. And once upon a time, that might have been enough to end an argument or anything else. You know, what's crazy about this is that's even after Tywin had Tyrion's first wife, Tysha, peasant girl who we don't know much about, gang raped by a company of the Lannister army. And she disappears into history. We don't know what happened to her. But even after that, there might have been time where if Tywin was conciliatory towards Tyrion, that would have meant a lot to him. No longer. After Tyrion puts the, the arrow in Tywin's gut, you know, Tywin says, you're not my son. Here comes the truth. Now, here comes his actual feelings. You're not my son. And Tyrion again, I am your son. Boom, hits him again. Here Tyrion saying, actually, I am your son. This is what you would do. Exactly. I'm exactly like you. I keep surviving like you. I keep fighting for what I want like you. I won't give up just like you. And this was their destiny. This was destined to happen. One of the most painful but also delicious ironies mm -hmm. is that the thing that leads them to this moment, to this shared destiny, is Tywin's hypocrisy, yeah. right? Because so much of the hatred that they feel for each other and so much of the tension that has really in many ways like destroyed Tyrion's life yeah. is specifically about sex yeah. and relationships. Yep. And for Tywin, who has said to Tyrion, the next whore I find in your right. bed, I'll hang. Yeah. To not only deign to spend time with a whore, but to actually be intimately involved with the woman, yep. with the specific whore who Tyrion was, and Tywin knows this, in love with. But this it makes it more delicious for Tywin, surely. It's, sure. And it's it's an insult that it's finally it's the one insult finally that Tyrion cannot abide. It's yes. too much. It was painful enough for his entire life right. to hear these things, to be belittled and mocked and shamed to be publicly humiliated yeah. with the Taisha situation yeah. back in his youth. He can't, he can't accept it. And it finally, in a way, Tywin's mistake here is the thing that gives Tyrion the courage yeah. that he needs to say, well, I actually am your son. Right. And you know what? Yeah. More's the pity for you. Right. Cersei, another one of Tywin's progeny, is also learning a lot from dear old dad. <laughs> right? And she is... <laughs> sick, sick of letting the men around her no decide, more. no more, decide what path she's going to travel, right? right? She decides in this episode to take control of her own fate. And that starts <laughs> with getting Pycelle and uh, his don't even dead cat smell, yeah. which I, I don't like that description, out of her life, right? <laughs> You're dismissed, Grand Maester. You're great. It's my laboratory. I love the way he says <laughs> yeah. laboratory. Laboratory. 
not anymore. Cersei asks, you know, Kyburn, who yeah. she is basically subbing in, subbing in, her. tapping in for Pycelle, <laughs> yeah. if he can really save the mountain. And what is Kyburn's response? Difficult to say, but if yeah. my past work is any guide, we stand a chance. And she signs off. That's all she right. needs to hear, right? What does Kyburn say? A little warning here, a word of caution. You should know the process may change him somewhat. And Cersei, all she cares about, will it weaken right. him? And Kyburn's response is so perfect. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Very well, then, right? That's yeah. all she needs because she wants to put herself in a position of strength. She's sick of letting other people determine the course of her life. And in order for her to, to enact that control, to assume that agency, she needs to surround herself with yeah. soldiers of her own. That's what she's trying to do here, right? Because what does she want to avoid? She doesn't want to marry Loris. And she's not just at the phase anymore of basically like, whining about right. it she's actually committing to doing something about it right she says i'm not interested in hearing another one of your smug stories about the this time a, you won it's an incredible line that's the tie win that's an incredible alive. line it's so perfect because she's just flat out calling right. him out on his bullshit yes. right she's like i know your game right. i've seen this move i've been seeing it my entire life yeah and i'm not here for it anymore the fact that all of his children are finally standing up to him what a letdown for him at the end of his life i know right what a crushing defeat for a man who dedicated his entire existence to protecting and positioning the family name it's pathetic <laughs> I mean, Tywin is held up and propped yeah. up as basically one of the great men, the great, the greatest. He really is. He's legitimately one of the greatest men in the realm. Has and ever yeah, produced. but but like that's the thing, right? Is is he? If yeah. the one thing that he cared about most, right? He couldn't. He couldn't actually accomplish. He if his, his own in, children rebelled against him in the most meaningful and painful ways, it was the great project of his life. Is this lasting Lannister legacy that would? Um, sustain itself for thousands. He he said a thousand years is right. what he wanted to create. And he treated his children as ideas, you know, not necessarily as people, as ideas, as things that could sustain this. And at every turn, they fight him. Right. Jamie goes to the Kingsguard. Cersei refuses to marry again when specifically asked and knowing how important it is for the family to maintain the Tyrell alliance. Tyrion is a dwarf who killed his mother. I mean, like, at every turn, this is from, from Tywin's point of view, his children refuse to do as he asks. Right, and that's why Cersei's conversation with him in this yes. episode is so meaningful, because what does she say to him? She says, first of all, when you found us in the throne room at the end of the Battle of the Blackwater, do you know what I was ready to yeah. do? Do you know how much... I care about my children. Yeah. Like, you're not the only one who gets to sort of hold, hold up that ideal, right? She tells him that she was ready to poison Tommen. That's how far I was willing to go when I thought someone awful had come to take my son away, she says. And then she finally does it. She finally plays the trump card. You know what I'm going to do to get my way here? You know what I'm going to do to right. ensure that I don't have to play your game, that I get to play my own game? I'll tell everyone the truth, right? But what, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Not sure what you're talking about. What, 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 uh, about uh, the pigeon pie being dry, you know, uh, about which uh, which vintage from the arbor is uh, right. most robust this year. I'm going to tell everyone I'm fucking my brother. And Tywin literally refuses cannot to believe it. her. He cannot accept it. He, it's the most perverted yeah. 
insult to the thing that he was trying yeah. to build his life around, right? And Cersei just completely puts him on blast. She says, you don't know, do you? You right. never believed it. How is that possible? And then right away she pivots. What am I saying? Of course it's possible. How can someone so consumed by the idea of family have any conception of what his actual family was doing? We were right there in front of you and you didn't yep. see us. One look. One look in the past 20 years, one real look at your children, and you would have known. Pay attention to the thing you right. claim to care about the most, and you would have seen what was happening, and you would have maybe actually been able to do something about it. Your legacy is a lie. Now, just to, to spell this out, why does this matter? Because if Cersei goes public with her relationship with Jamie, right. it invalidates Tommen's claim to the throne. And if Tommen isn't king, then Tywin isn't in control. Right. So. He'd rather be dead than yeah. live in a world where that's He'd the He'd be case. finished at that point. I mean, we talk about civil war at that point. Jamie gets a visit from Cersei shortly after this, and she's bragging. Guess what I did? Right. Guess how I spent my afternoon? And, you know, he has a pretty spot on read, right? There's really nothing you wouldn't do, is there? I mean, God, little does he know right. at this point in the story how far she's actually willing to go. But she says, for my family, no, nothing. I would do things for my family you couldn't imagine. And she tells Jamie how she revealed their relationship to, to Tywin and how she's absolutely not going to allow herself to be shipped off right. in another marriage. She says, I don't choose Tywin Lannister. I don't love Tywin Lannister. I love my brother. I love my lover, which is just weird. People will whisper. They'll make their jokes. Let them. They're all so small, I can't even see them. Now, a little spoiler warning here. We'll talk about this a lot more in our next episode, but like, think about the prophecy that we're going to see in the beginning of season yeah. five. Think about what Cersei does in the season six finale. The idea of destiny has hung over Cersei's entire life. Entire life. She heard this prophecy, which again, we will speak about more in the next episode, when she was a child and has been attempting to avoid it or actively rebel against it at every turn. The problem, of course, is that more often than not, her actions yeah. lead to her fulfilling it. <clears throat> Up north, Jon Snow is embracing his destiny as mm. a full-fledged brother of the Night's Watch. What does that mean? This is where shit gets good for Jon. It really it does. It really gets you good You really for John. see what a person he is. He's been with the Night's Watch for, you know, not a long time, and... He is fully ready to walk into Mance's camp to try and kill him, knowing that that will mean his slow and agonizing death at the hands of the wildlings. He goes to Mance's camp and, you know, Mance is giving him shit. I see you're wearing a black cloak right. again. Wish you'd been loyal. Right. And he says, I was loyal to him, meaning Corrin Halfhand, and to my Night's Watch vows. John's destiny is and was always to be an honorable man. When Stannis asks him, and here you see a bit why book readers especially kind of like Stannis. Stannis is a is an unyielding guy, but in this is, this is Jason's worst take, everyone. Well, I mean, just like, you know, Stannis will ask people's opinion and he will actually listen to it. Like, you know, there's no reason for him to listen to fucking Jon Snow, who he's known for 35 seconds. You know, he says, you know, what should I do with this man? He says, I was this man's prison once. He could have tortured me. He could have killed me, but he spared my life. I think my father would have taken him prisoner Listen to what he had to say. And of course, John is dedicated to protecting the realm. He says to Stannis, your grace, if my father had seen the things I'd seen, he'd also tell you to burn the dead before nightfall, all of them. By the way, I love how whenever someone new comes to the north <laughs> or an emissary from the watch goes somewhere else and says, you got to burn the bodies. 
You also then should explain like what's going on. <laughs> I think yeah. you also have to say because they come back to life. You don't understand what's going on up here. You know, it's crazy up here, Stannis. And maybe they're assuming that if he if he came all the way, maybe he read the letter. Right, I don't know. Yeah. But and then, you know, there's Mance, too, yeah. right? Like, so the person, the other person involved in this exchange now, he has one goal. It's not power. It's not glory. It's not conquest. It's to be a savior of a different sort. He really wants to position his people to survive the winter, the Great War, right? Here's me being honest with you, Jon Snow, he says, which is more than you've ever done for me. This is great. Love that that part. My people have bled enough. We're not here to conquer. We're here to hide behind your wall. Just like you, we need your tunnel. We both know that winter is coming. And if my people aren't south of the wall when it comes in earnest, we'll all end up worse than dead. He's actually willing. This man who assembled the greatest army and was going to build the biggest fire and all this talk about war and battle and domination, a former brother of the Night's Watch who abandoned his brothers, abandoned the people that he had sworn to live out his life with and fight alongside, is now willing to say, I will make peace with you. I will come to terms with you if doing so allows him to achieve that destiny, the destiny of saving the free folk, right? Right. And his bargain is simple. Open the tunnel, no one else dies, right? Refuse, and we'll kill every last man at Castle Black. And he surrenders. He does when Stannis comes down. Shouts to your dude, by the way. He's not my dude. I'm just saying that in the book, he's good. He's not terrible. So what does Stannis do, of course? Unyielding as always. Neil, right? Yeah. Neil. And Mance, sticking to it. We do not kneel. Their fate depends on their king. All the same, we do not kneel. Now, Stannis, on the other side of this conversation with Mance, he has to have this win. Has to. Has to, right? This is his destiny. His entire claim. He's on a losing streak. He's on a losing streak. And like any team on a losing streak, you you just get a W. Just get a win anywhere. Doesn't matter where. You have to go north, get the win, get the win. Uh, Yeah, he needs legitimacy badly. He lost at the Blackwater in extremely crushing circumstances in a fashion that seemed to be decisive. Right. In any other situation would be decisive. His army was was shattered. Many of the Stormlanders quit. Uh, he doesn't have the power of the Reach behind him anymore. Um, he had to buy troops in order to carry out his invasion of the North. So how do you get legitimacy? How do you live up to this destiny that Melisandre has foisted on you, certainly, as the prince who was promised, the savior of not just the realm, but the world? Go get a victory. Go stop the invasion of the realm. Okay. Danny, of course, is not protecting anyone in Westeros because she's just still kicking it, kicking it in Marine. And this is a tough, tough, tough. Half episode for Danny. Mal right? will never. Mal will never forgive. No, for this. this is this is really hard. Da- who is Danny? Right? She's the queen of marine. Yes. She's the mother of dragons. So called. She's the breaker of chains. Yes. Okay. Let's go beat by beat with those <laughs> titles, titles, titles. Titles. Okay. Queen you know of- the damn words. <laughs> queen of marine. One of her subjects' daughters is now a pile of charred. Bones, because Danny has no idea what her dragons are up to, right. and they are burning children. She's not also like Danny. Shouldn't Danny be working at how do I control these things? How right. do I learn to communicate with them? Like, what do I? It's mainly just like hang out on a rock and watch them eat goats. Like, can you? <laughs> you got to work at this, right? Okay, breaker of chains. Yeah. Well, one of her freed slaves comes to her 
comes to office hours <laughs> and he tells her that he wants to sell himself back to his former master. With my master, he says, right. I was a teacher. I had the respect and love of his children. I ask you to let me sell myself back. And she's horrified, right? Yeah. You want to return back to a man who owned you like a goat or a chair. And he says to her, you know, the young, right. they're, they're rejoicing. This but great. what about us? He says that he's not alone, right? He's not the only one who feels this way, who misses the comfort of familiarity. This is such a blow to Danny's, not only her agenda politically, but to the thing that she truly, genuinely cares about and has committed herself to fully, right? I did not take over this city to preside over the injustice I fought to destroy. I took it to bring people freedom. But she has to concede here. Freedom means making your own choices. She lets him sign a contract. Barrison has concerns. There will be slaves in all but name. Right. This is, it's its hard to overstate what a setback this is for Danny. What a blow this is. She thinks she's there as a savior. What if not everybody wants to be saved? Okay, third title, Mother of Dragons. Still no word of Drogon? <laughs> no, just no, just no. Where, Didn't anybody see him? Forgot to activate the GPS tracker on his phone, I guess. Is Drogon called? He flew off. Right. He burned this child. He flew off. Nobody knows where he is. What is Danny's reaction to this? Meet me in the catacombs, she says. What does she do? She leads Rhaegal and Viserion, her two other dragons, lures them into the catacombs. Yeah. Here's a little snack. Chains them. Puts manacles around their necks. And still they do not resist. No. What is this? It's just one bad decision after another, one setback after another. What is Danny's destiny? Everything that happens to her in this episode is a setback to her achieving the destiny that she thinks she's meant to achieve. And there's Arya and the Hound. Arya has been daydreaming, mm. night dreaming, <laughs> dreaming throughout the day and the night about many deaths, including the Hounds, um, presumably with her active participation ever since he rode down Micah the Butcher back in season one. These two had a very interesting and kind of troubling and codependent, certainly, relationship in the show. Arya's destiny, clearly, is to become what the Hound already is, a killer, a more refined killer, more of a craftsman (laughs) of killing, of murder, but certainly a killer. It's a mentor-mentee relationship, and she's not fully there yet, but there's no question at all that their partnership or whatever you want to call it, this weird relationship they had, helped her level up closer to that goal. The Hound, meanwhile, certainly throughout his life, has never had any illusion that he would meet his end and that end would be violent. This is a guy who lived his life killing on people's orders, fighting in wars, and he's courted that fate at times. You know, there's a certain, there's always been something fatalistic about the Hound. He's been driven by, you know, two things. His hatred of his brother, And this kind of like headlong hurling towards death, you know, just like whenever there's a fight, let's go. Right. When the Battle of the Blackwater was looming, what is the first thing he's thinking? This guy, Bronn, I think I'll fight him right now. Right. Why? You know, it's this courting of death. And so when it seems to be upon him and he's got no ear, he's just had his freaking ass kicked by Brienne, and he's got like three inches of femur sticking out of his leg. Uh, what does a hound do? He says, fuck it, I'm ready. Uh, and he looks at her, he goes, go on, girl, another name off your list. Let's go, I'm ready to die. This is it right here. And when Arya walks away, 
What an incredible, it's like her incredible face. scene. It's really amazing, her face. Because she she makes a calculation there where she, certainly she's wanted the hound dead. Even while she's been hanging out with him, she's right. wanted to kill him. But she thinks here, you know what? This will be more painful to let him die like this. To have it end like this is really crazy. For, I mean, it's just brutal for him. And it really shows the level of animosity in Arya's heart for her enemies. Not a lot of animosity in Bran's heart. Still a lot of goodness there for now. And we are going to talk a lot more about yeah. Bran and his destiny a little bit later in the episode. But it is time to talk about part of Bran's journey. And thankfully, Ooh. mercifully, the Whites cannot follow us into this podcast right. studio. <laughs> the power that moves them has no power here. So with that comforting but mystical protective barrier in place and Bran finally at long last at his destination with the Three-Eyed Raven, let's assemble the Conclave and head to the yeah. Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about this Three-Eyed Raven dude we've been hearing so much about. The Three-Eyed Raven! Waiting yeah. for this a long, 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 long time. Considering what a mysterious character the Three-Eyed Raven is, appearing through multiple seasons only as this ghostly voice, North Bran Stark, by visions and green dreams, it is perhaps surprising to you, the non-book reader, uh, that we actually know a lot about this guy. We don't know exactly how he came to be where he is. That's what's really interesting about him, actually. But we do know a lot about him. Uh, his name is... Brynden Rivers, but he's better known during his time um, because of the deathly pallor of his skin and a blood red facial birthmark that it was retconned out of the show as Blood Raven. And I say during his time because Blood Raven was once, about a century ago, a serious player in the politics of the realm. Born in King's Landing in 175 AC, so about 125 years before events of the show, he is the bastard son of King Aegon IV Targaryen also known as Aegon the Unworthy and Master Aemon's great-grandfather um, and his sixth mistress, Lady Melissa Blackwood. Aegon IV's reign was a disaster for the realm, thus the sobriquet Aegon the Unworthy. Um, he was best known for his extreme profligacy as king and as a human being. He spent too much money, ate too much. He was an extremely fat guy, drank way too much, and most of all, most destructive of all, he fucked like way, 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 way too much. Sounds like Robert. Very, very <laughs> Robert-like, but it, with a more evil bent. Um, Aegon the Four went after every woman, married, single, noble, common, whatever, who came within sight of his fat little beady eyes. <laughs> and the legacy of those myriad encounters were his bastards. A lot of bastards from this guy. And most notably, for our purposes, his great bastards. Those are the children he fathered with his many noble-born mistresses. I'll get more into that in the future. So on his deathbed, Aegon IV legitimized all his bastards, from the ones born with dalliances with tavern wenches and whores to his noble-born sort of great <laughs> bastards. And we've talked about previously why legitimization is both a dangerous and last-ditch step. Um, and... Why that is the case can be explained by what happened with Aegon IV. Um, legitimization, usually, very bad idea. It should surprise no one when 
after legitimizing all these bastards when some of them who came from, you know, wealthy, powerful, influential families suddenly were like, you know what? Maybe I should be king. Right. Maybe I should run the realm. Who saw that? Who, who could have anticipated Who could have anticipated that? So compounding the and compounding the chaos of his mass legitimization, Aegon had previously bequeathed Blackfire, the Valyrian sword of Aegon the Conqueror, carried by every Targaryen king of Westeros, to his great bastard, Daemon, instead of his trueborn son, Daron, later King Daron II. Um, yeah, this would have been confusing for people, right? So you gave the king's sword to your bastard and then you legitimize him. It's really no surprise that Damon was like, hey, I'm the king. Right. Um, so the result of all this was the Blackfire rebellions. There were numerous of them, the first of which broke out in 196 AC. And it was during the Blackfire rebellion that Brynden Rivers, then 19, made his reputation both for good and ill. Though a great bastard, he stayed loyal to King Daron, served on the small council. He played a crucial role in ending the rebellion when he and his personal cadre of archers the raven's teeth, they supposedly had weirwood bows and arrows, cut down the usurper Damon Blackfire and his twin sons at the Battle of Redgrass Field. He helped save the realm, and also he was labeled ever after as a kinslayer. So after the war, Bloodraven became Hand of the King under the first King Ares, the non-crazy one. Uh, and during the reign of Ares, it was pretty much an open secret that Brendan Rivers was running shit, much like, you know, this is something that people say about successful hands, you know, up to Tywin Lannister all throughout history. And those whispers took on a more ominous bent when um, it was whispered that Bloodraven was running a, a network of spies, which was true. And he was involved with sorcery and dark magic. A uh, common saying at the time was, how many eyes does Bloodraven have? A thousand eyes and one. So eventually Blood Raven runs afoul of King Maegard the Targaryen, Aemon's father, ended up in the Black Cells in the Red Keep. And when Maester Aemon, who had rejected the throne, was making his way north to join the Night's Watch, Maekar sent Brynden with him to take the Black. Eventually, Blood Raven Lord, uh, rose to Lord Commander. This is over 70 years before the events of the show now. And that's pretty much where we lose track of him. He carried the Valyrian steel sword dark sister. We don't know if he took it with him to the wall. We don't know how he ended up under the tree, but we do know now that he is the three-eyed raven. These are my favorite citadels, the ones that give us like so many answers, but also <laughs> also raise new questions. Yeah, lots this of is questions. what's so amazing about this story that you could just like learn such a, a data download there of so much rich history that not only touches on the three-eyed raven, but Aemon, yes, the Targaryen family. So much stuff. And then we're still like, wait, but how'd he get there? Yeah. Amazing. This is Love what this. this is what's great about this story. So and this is good. what it turns Mal and I on about this story. It's like you could be like, well, who was his mother and father? Oh, now I know about them. Well, who were their mother and father? Oh, now I know about them. It's really an incredible world building achievement. George. George, you did it, buddy. You Even though you didn't finish. Fucking, if you never finished, you, you did fucking this. Did it. Now you at least started doing yeah. it. <laughs> hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. All right. Mel, Father yeah. said if you're going to do it, yeah. might as well do it right. So mm. let's head to the Sept to bathe in the warm light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round Style. 
get started with a little mini Dell on the children. Because this children. episode is named for the children. Who are you? Number one, the children are, these are the children of the forest. These are the legendary children of the forest. The first human-ish inhabitants of Westeros. They were once common throughout the continent before the arrival of the first men back in the dawn age. They are the ones who carved the faces in the trees. Uh, they are the ones who broke the arm of Dorne. These are the legendary children here at last. Guys, a lot more coming yeah. in season six. Tons. Keep listening. Number two, Maester Aemon is presiding over the last words mm -hmm. for the slain brothers who fell during the Battle of the Wall. There is a moment. Yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> when John and Melisandre lock eyes yeah. over ominous the music. Flames. He's like got a little like a what's this? What's this about? Yeah, you cold up here, right, my lady? He'll ask her that later. And she's looking at him like, "Are you a virgin? How many right. leeches can I right. fill with your blood? There's a how filled with king's blood are you? There yeah. is a desire yeah. and an intent in that look really that is. is fierce and terrifying to behold. Number three, Brienne biting the hound's ear off. Mirroring the events from Storm of Swords when Brienne bites Vargo Hote's ear off. He deserved it. He really did. Terrible moment in the books, by the way. Really ugly shit. <laughs> Number four. This is going to be a tough one to say without crying. Hang with me if you can. <laughs> Spoiler alert, guys. But there is so much season six hold the door. Ugh. Even when you say that. It's agony. It's tough. When Bran is finally in the Three-Eyed Raven's company. Yeah. Mira, she's got a bone to pick here with the Three-Eyed Raven because right. Jojen is dead now. And she says, my brother, he led us to you. And now he, she can't bring herself to say that he's dead, right? And what does the Three-Eyed Raven say? He knew what would happen from the moment he left. He knew and he went anyway. And as the Three-Eyed Raven is saying this, theoretically about Jojen, right. the camera is stopped on Hodor and Hodor's face, and everything that the Three-Eyed Raven says there, he knew what would happen from the moment he left, he knew and he went anyway, we know now, applies to Hodor too. Devastating. And there's also the moment when Bran is ordering Hodor to help, but Hodor is extremely afraid. Right. And Bran is pushing and pushing, yeah. and it's, well, we know what the consequences of that Ugh. kind of action can be now. Also, just the mere fact of Hodor and Summer, RIP uh, to my main dude, Summer. Summer looks really cute on the hill. So great. They're arriving at the site of their death. Yeah. This is agonizing. And, you know, just that line from the moment that they're, they're entering, they finally make their escape. Mira, Bran, Summer, Hodor. They get in. And the whites, they crash. They break apart as they try to run through. Why? They cannot follow us here. The power that moves them is powerless here. Well, not if you let the Night's King touch <laughs> well, you. We'll table this for later, but Again. this is a complaint. Um, number five, so much Jon Snow foreshadowing, Jon chatting with Tormund. And Tormund's talking about Sanis. He says, you know, he's your king now. And Jon says, I don't have a king. Oh, why does he not have a king? And then he says, you spent too much time with this Jon Snow, this like this kind of uh, defiant, freedom-loving uh, bent that Jon Snow is showing. You can never be a kneeler again. And then Jon takes Ygritte's body north of the wall, builds it the funeral pyre, 
super sweet, but it's also like one of those things. There's already been accusations. You're a little soft on these wildlings, aren't you, Jon Snow? Um, they're going to use this against him. And crazy, crazy moment when Mance realizes that Jon is there to kill him because Jon glances at the, the dagger. And he says, are you capable of that, Jon Snow? Of killing a man in his tent when he's just offered you peace? Is that what the Night's Watch is? Is that what you are? That is a brutal moment, and John really registers that. He thinks about it. For he really that hits him. And then when Tormund is like, you know, Egret loves you, and he's like, she did. Yeah. <laughs> how do you know? Because all she ever talked about was killing you. That's how I know she belongs in the North, John, the real North. Oh man, all of that plays into John's destiny so yes. heavily. What a great John episode. It really Number is. six. Speaking of foreshadowing, some Cersei foreshadowing here. Two, when she says someone awful is coming to take mm. him away, she's talking about Tom in here. Joffrey is dead. Marcella's been sold like li like livestock. Now you want to ship me off to Highgarden and steal my boy, my last boy. Marjorie will dig her claws in, and you will dig your claws in, and you'll fight over him like beasts until you rip him apart. Spoiler alert: someone's gonna rip Tom in apart, yeah. but it's not gonna be Tywin or Marjorie. It's Cersei. And we'll talk uh, in the next episode about why Cersei reacts so strongly to Marjorie all the time. Number seven, finally, when John arrives in Mance's tent and Mance pours him a glass of it's probably like fermented bear's milk or something. <laughs> <laughs> and they toast to their friends. John toasts to Gren and Mance toasts to Mag the Mighty, the last king of the giants. They killed each other, of course, died in each other's arms, really, in the tunnel underneath the wall. And then John says, he killed my friend Gren of, of Mag. And then Mance says, he was their king, the last of a bloodline that stretches back to the Dawn Age. And then John says, Gren was from a farm. <laughs> I love that. That was a great scene. <laughs> so good. All right, guys. Well, our winner, yes, like Stannis, might not be dressed for this Northern weather, but each episode we are going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way, did something awesome. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is. Brandon Stark. Brainy. At his destination at last. He made it. Uh, this has been building essentially since. Season one, the whole series, basically, since Bran fell out of the tower. This is his destiny. His dreams have been the dreams that have been leading him here. Uh, remember the three-eyed raven said, look for me beneath the tree north. And then when he arrives, when Bran arrives there, I have been watching you, all of you, all your lives with a thousand eyes and one. That's the, the, Brindon, the Brindon Rivers line there. And then when Bran asks him, you know, will I walk again? He's like, no. You will never walk again, but you will fly. Amazing stuff. I mean, like, what will he fly? How will he fly? What will he fly in? Certainly ravens. We see that in, in the books. Bran is constantly seeing through the eyes of ravens. But what else? What else could he learn to do? We know he's the most powerful warg that anyone's ever seen. Hmm. What else flies on this show? Yeah, you know, we don't know what his destiny is. But his arc is the most explicitly Tolkien-esque you know, expression of the hero's journey that there is in this show. This is, the, he is the core of fantasy that is in this story. Yes. I mean, that's why he's one of my yeah. fav absolute favorite characters. Totally. It's interesting 
I think Bran is one of the characters who best uh, highlights the divide between when you can tell whether someone has read the books or just watches the show based on right. how they feel. I about hate Bran. Bran's yeah. storyline sucks. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, do you like fantasy literature? Right, and yeah. Do you have like an imagination? <laughs> <laughs> if you're just watching this for the first time, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, Bran's not in season five. Right. So we, we don't see him. We get this huge step forward finally in his story. And then there's this like, really prolonged 10 hour pause where you just are you're left wondering and wanting and you need to know and then when he comes back in season six it's just fucking go time in the hardest way and it's amazing the thing that is to me the most interesting thing facet of brand's character is like as you said he wanted to be a knight he wanted to ride horses shoot arrows and sword fight and the normal progression of a child into an adult is those interior dreams you make them exterior you make them the thing that you do only bran is progressing further and further inward his world will right. be an inward world and he'll discover a whole universe in there He'll discover things that he can't ever really explain to people. Um, and that is, that's just one of my favorite aspects of this story. All right, guys. Our curiosity has been deemed unnatural. <laughs> and this process might change us somewhat. Yeah. But we're okay with it. It will not weaken us, for <laughs> sure. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 1, the wars to come. Until then, remember, people will whisper. Mm. They'll make their jokes. Let them. They're all so small, we can't even see them. Now let me kiss that metal hand. Tyrion, this is how you speak to me? As I shit, but you keep on surviving. And I respect that. Even admire it. Oh, God. Oof. Thanks to our producer, Zach Mack and Bill Simmons. Colin Orca, Joe Fuentes, with special production help from Isaac Lee.